0: Welcome, everybody, to the Friday, the 13th edition of the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, where we talk about the top news of the week in legal tech and innovation. I am Bob Ambrogi, and uh, our panelists today uh, are here before you, and let's go around and uh, introduce ourselves. Steve, you want to kick it off?
1: Sure. Uh, Steve Embry from Louisville, Kentucky. I uh, write the blog Tech Law Crossroads, and uh, prior to that, I was a practicing lawyer in big law for more years than I like to think.
0: (laughs) Molly McDonough.
2: Molly McDonough. I'm a legal um, technology and um, seriously, what am I? I am a media strategist and (laughs) consultant focused on legal technology
3: uh, companies based in the Chicago area.
0: And uh, Victoria
3: everyone. My name is Victoria Hutchins. I'm a reporter based in Philadelphia where I work for ALM, mostly for Legal Tech News, where I cover technology, technology security and tech's impact on the legal industry.
4: And Zach. Hey, everybody. I'm Zach Warren. I'm editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News with ALM. You'll also see me on Law.com and other brands.
5: I'm based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: Last but not least, Joe.
5: Uh, Joe Patrice from Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast and Above the Law, I swapped them around that time, uh, <laughs> just to promote more. Just to know, mess with put, our minds. Just put that a little bit forward. Yeah, no. Um, and I'm excited to be here. As always, I am uh, I'm going with an old fashioned today, which is not my usual drink of choice. So we'll see how uh, I'm I'm classing it up, I guess.
0: So we've been doing a little bit of an ILTA check-in uh, on the show the last few weeks as we're gearing up for uh, the first hybrid uh, ILTACON coming up in a week. Uh, and look, we already have a question. <laughs> a question from the audience for Steve. Uh, did you get any response from ILTA to your post? So Steve, uh, maybe we should just start with, in case anybody didn't see your post, what was your post and did you get any response?
1: My post was, uh, basically I was trying to to, to report that ILTA didn't invite a bunch of us to their damn conference. (laughs) Uh, And, and I was sort of uh, trying to reason, you know, go through the various reasons why that might be the case. But, but really I came to the conclusion at the end of it that it, I mean, it's it's just disappointing across the board because um, you know, there's, we're, by us not being there or a good number of us not being there, there's less reporting. There's less reporting to vendors about vendors. There's less reporting to people in the industry who aren't there, less reporting to law firms, to in-house legal departments. And it's 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 a real shame. Um, and what kind of response uh, I've gotten? Actually, I have uh, gotten re- a, a, a response. Uh, I'm happy to report that after my uh, scholarly report, uh, ILTA has decided to Still not invite me.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you got a lot of response on Twitter anyway. I mean, uh, people were uh, interested. in it. I was actually surprised to see some people who were surprised to see there was going to be any media there at all. So, the, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I was surprised with a couple of uh, posts about uh, the speakers. Um, some of the speakers were not even comped. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen that a couple of times where where uh, organizations will contact me and ask me to speak at a conference that I wouldn't go to but to speak. And, you know, you go through all this, this nice little spiel, would you come, would you come, we can't pay your expenses, okay, I got that. Oh, and by the way, you have to pay your registration fee. And I'm like, nah, not yeah. going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I might, I, I, I might put the bill for expenses, yeah. but the registration to go to, you know, uh, a hotel association conference that I would never ever go to otherwise that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had always thought, I would have thought ILTA never paid, never comp speakers. Uh, but maybe they do make exceptions or that, that tweet certainly suggested they make exceptions. I mean, I, I've, uh, spoken at Delta back in the days before they used to give press passes at all i guess i don't know why i wouldn't have gotten a press pass but uh by virtue of speaking at ulta it didn't did not entitle me to uh get a a comp speaker admission and i i remember being told at the time uh that that was their policy and i thought i'd heard that subsequently but i may be wrong about that
1: yeah you know and and i don't um i don't necessarily have a problem with that i mean if i were not that I will ever be asked to speak at ILTA now, but you know, if I were asked to speak at ILTA and I was gonna go anyway, okay, I, you know, yeah, it's probably fair I pay registration fees, but if it's a conference that I wouldn't go to, but for the fact they asked me to speak at it, that's that's different in my mind, so. Yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, uh, for anybody uh, attending uh, in the audience here today who may not know about our media room, Joe, do you wanna give an update on what we're doing there?
5: Yeah. So we are, are, that's going to let us sit in. Yes. uh, So above the law has sprung for a media room and we are going to be in the Moria suite, which looks lovely. Uh, We're going to get in, check in on Monday. So I assume probably starting around two or three, uh, we'll be able to get in there and we'll be there through uh, checking out on Thursday. And we have a website available for you to sign up for a little chat sessions with us if you'd like. Um, and you can just hit me up at Joe Patrice at above the law.com. If you, uh, want access to that and need to schedule something, but yeah. Uh, and I'll be there, you know, the whole time because where else am I going to go? I can't go to the conference, um, but yeah. And you can come in and chat with it. Set up some times and chat with us about that. And uh, some people who do have access to the conference, they're going to hang out with me too, from time to time when they don't have anything else going on. Uh, and you can have uh, one meeting, very meet the press style in a lovely uh, high-end Vegas, sweet. You know, we can, we can live like we're high rollers for a little bit.
4: Well, that's what I was going to say too. The meet the press style is particularly what I'm excited about because it's a new way to talk to people. I feel like a lot of times at these conferences, it's a lot of us on this call and off this call who kind of have very similar conversations with the same people kind of in a line. I know I've been in meetings where literally I'm walking out of them and one of you is walking into them about to say the exact same thing. So I think particularly because maybe there's going to be not as many people at this one, I think it's a good conference to just kind of float a trial balloon and see if something like this works and just kind of get a few of these meetings under our belt kind of work that kinks out um i'm excited for it see how it goes
0: yeah i mean it would, I, it would you would think it would be good for the for the people who have to sit and give these pitches 10 times a day uh to a bevy of different media people i don't know if it saves us any time really or anything except that i can then just wait copy Zach and Joe's story and not have to write my own. (laughs)
5: Um, well, I also think there's something, there's some value to, uh, having been on this show with all of you for a while, there's some value to, you know, we're all, we all come at it from a slightly different perspective. And sometimes when we ask questions, it jogs something in my mind, I wasn't thinking of. Uh, so I think we can actually do a better, deeper dive if we're all kind of in the same place, maybe.
0: Yep. So, uh, Maybe, maybe one of the big questions is, is whether there will be anybody there for us to talk to. We're uh, starting to hear reports uh, of, of some pulling out. Uh, I, just, I just posted on my blogs. I just got confirmation about 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, that iManage uh, is, is not going to send any of its phys- staff physically to the conference, which they had been planning to do. Uh, they say they're still going to fully support that conference and, and participate in a sponsor and participate virtually, uh, but they will not be sending anybody physically to Las Vegas. Uh, I know of at least one major law firm uh, that pulled out something like, what was it, something like 14 people that they were sending to the conference. Uh, they have confirmed it with me, but they really they asked me not to use their name, and I'm going to respect that. But um, so I don't know, is this, you know, is, are these the, is this sort of the domino that uh, is going to start tipping o- over the next week? Uh, I, I'm hearing a lot of concerns from people. I'm getting a lot of, you know, uh, people messaging me on on Twitter and elsewhere, you know, who's going, who's not going, are you going? Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next week.
3: Yeah, I definitely think, and you kind of, it makes sense. It makes sense with Elta and their conference that some people are a little bit hesitant now because of like the variances and infections rates going up, and we see that in like law firms, and they're kind of even pushing back some of the return into office plans because the variances, and they're just kind of like, okay, we just continue to work remotely. I think because it has, it wasn't like we just worked remotely for a month. It's been over a year and a half, and they kind of, if they've been doing it this long, the law firms they probably figure we can at least extend this for another month. So I think it's kind of like people's concerns and, you know, kind of seeing with Delta, because we're not fully out of COVID, these things happen and you have to kind of like deal with it. You don't really know. It's not like, Oh, it's bad weather. It's just kind of like something that's infectious and that can be deadly. And just, you have to deal with that. And some people not feeling comfortable with it.
2: Yep.
0: Um, All right. So uh, in other news, (laughs) uh, some, some, Some pretty big news uh, this week on the uh, legal tech industry front that uh, uh, some people who've Come come to this uh, roundtable before know that we we kind of circulate notes among each other in advance of things we want to talk about and uh, I think we all want almost all wanted to talk about this one, but but Zach got first dibs so uh, Zach uh,
4: <laughs> <Quick one laughs> wanted to, draw. to kick I'm it off be, yeah um, so yeah Latera and Kira systems um, this is something very big news obviously very big. Uh, M&A, two companies that we've talked about a lot on this program. Latera, as we've seen particularly over the past two years, has had a lot of M&A activity. I think they put in their press release 12 (laughs) acquisitions in the past two years. My dog agrees and thinks that it is (laughs) very, very interesting. Uh, Hold on one second. That's what you get for a live show. Um, so sorry about that, but yeah. Um, so Cura systems, obviously very well known in the legal tech AI space. Uh, Latera said, basically we're just going to be putting Cura's technology everywhere, everywhere that we can starting in the transactional and contract space, but kind of expanding out from there. Um, Latera through all these M and A transactions, and especially with this one really wants to be the big fish. They want to expand as aggressively as possible, it seems um, they've expanded out from transactions, from contracts, from documents into many other areas of legal tech, and I don't see any reason why that would slow down anytime soon. Um, so it's it's interesting to see how aggressively they've been going for this and how quickly they want to grow. Um, I'll stop there. We can talk about the Cura side of things in a bit, but yeah, yeah. Well, I. I, I...
0: Joe, you, I mean, you, I know you, you had some thoughts on it too. You want
5: to. I mean, yeah, it, uh, I mean, it, it caught me kind of by surprise. I hadn't really thought about this matchup. Uh, I just got a message, uh, late, a late night message from, uh, folks from both companies saying they want to chat. I was like, a, I wonder why. And, uh, <laughs> we got down and I popped them up like this and I was, uh, treated to, wow, we're really going to do this. Uh, it does make some sense. Uh, the more I I talk to, uh, especially on the Kira side about the idea, and this is kind of leading into the talking more about the Kira side, but they have really been doing two different businesses under one roof uh, recently, uh, doing both the law firm stuff and kind of using their technology to do more corporate side uh, and client side stuff. Uh, and The argument is, with this, you can take the law firm business, hand it to Latera, who can integrate it into what they do, uh, and the spinoff company that will continue can focus on the new use of the AI tech for this new purpose, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, It does seem like it fits very well within Latera's universe, so that seems like a good home for that part of the business.
0: Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting. I, I, I you know, we all, we all got the uh, late night calls. I, I think, I think mine got came later than anybody else's because apparently somehow Latera, even though I'm uh, on their Latera TV show and, and other things, were using the wrong email address for me. So um, uh, somebody, uh, somebody who actually works at Latera caught the fact that they were using the wrong email address. Um, but uh, it is, it it is it's, you know, lit, the, the Latera side of it is really interesting because of the number and aggressiveness of acquisitions they've been making over the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, Noah Weisberg of, of uh, Kira said to me, and he probably said the same thing to all of you, that he said, you know, coming into this year, he was not looking to be acquired. This wasn't something that he was thinking was going to happen this year. I mean, this was their 10th anniversary year in business. They were really the first... You know, AI contract analysis platform out there. Uh, they had this book come out. Um, you know that they did uh, that. That uh, Noah and uh, Alex's co-founder did on AI and law. It was a really, really, really a very good book. Uh, and uh, it, it, they, you know, he says it wasn't on their radar. And so you have to assume uh, uh, that uh, Lotera made them an offer they couldn't refuse. Uh, and, um, and and like I said, Joe, they've been kind of it, actually the the part that most sort of surprised me about this was the the spinoff part of it, and, and I think y'all alluded to it. We haven't actually talked about it uh, um, explicitly, but they are before they close the deal at sometime at the end of this month, uh, they are spinning off um, part of. Uh, Kira into a brand new company called ZUVA. Uh, And this new company is going to be focusing on building up technology they had already started to develop, as you said, Joe, relating to more of the corporate uh, legal department side uh, that they'd already started to develop. uh, And about a third of their employees will go to this new company and the rest will go to Kira. So essentially, uh, Latera is getting kind of Kira as we know it and think of it uh and, and the core product there and then noah's heading off uh rather than to uh, go relax on a yacht or something uh to uh, pursue a new company so th- that was that was really interesting and i thought it was interesting in talking to them because again i don't know you guys we probably all had the same conversations but uh when i when i talked to noah i, I talked to noah uh and, and he kept saying, you know, I, I don't want, I really want to downplay that because this is all about Latera and I, I don't want to make a big deal out of the fact that we're spinning off this other company, but you just can't avoid it I and mean, that's, it just doesn't happen every day in an acquisition like this and, and, uh, it, you know, that was uh, a big part of the story here so.
4: I found the nature of the spin-off really interesting too because Victoria did the story for us and when Noah was talking to Victoria he said, "You know, it's particularly in the contract space there's so much focus on CLM, contract lifecycle management recently. He doesn't specifically want to do a CLM company because there's so many people that have gotten funding and really grown in that area. He's looking more in the analytics side of things that honestly, their technology does seem more suited to in the first place. And also there isn't as much competition there. Um, So I seeing that as a growing segment and something we're going to continue, or the industry will continue to focus on moving forward, I think is kind of interesting and wouldn't be surprised to see them have a lot of success there.
0: Yeah. One other aspect of this that that interests me is um, what is is sort of deciphering or understanding Laterra's game plan or longer term game plan, um, because some of the acquisitions have taken them off into directions they hadn't appeared to be heading in, in the first place. I mean, you could you could argue that with with uh, when when they acquired. You know Haley Altman's company and Doxley and created Latera Transact. That was kind of heading off in a new direction. I mean, it makes it you know in retrospect it makes a ton of sense, and it seems to have been quite a successful acquisition for them. And they talk about Kira as kind of fitting into that M and A uh, due diligence workflow, which which also makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, but when I asked, uh, Avanish, uh, the, the CEO kind of about that, I mean, his answer was kind of like, you know, if our clients tell us they have a problem, we're going to go out and try and find a way to solve that problem, whether it's by acquisition or building it. Um, and, uh, that really opens the door to them going off in, you know, almost any, any direction, uh, in that given the, you know, within the boundaries of the market they serve. But, uh, Thought that was a really interesting response on their part, and uh, you know they're really they're really uh, establishing themselves. They they were kind of a document automation company, and and they really uh, have expanded way beyond that into a a real legal tech, you know, uh, platform. I guess you'd, you'd call it. Uh, I don't know. Um, anything else on that?
5: I mean, I guess the only other thing is, you know, with the spinoff, I mean, I, I have every confidence that this is all going to work, but you know, you brought up the Doxley situation, they, they took over Doxley and you know, they got Haley, uh, this is a situation where they're going to take over this company and, you know, they aren't, aren't going to have Noah and Alex, I guess they're is technically going to be available as a, as a, um. Advisor, but he's going to be off doing his own new company. So, yes, they're getting this asset, but as opposed to some some other transactions, they aren't getting kind of the human capital that was behind uh, a lot of the success. Which who knows whether or not that's really all that necessary. I mean, it, it seems like a well oiled machine at this point, so maybe it isn't. But you know, it's an interesting difference between this and another transaction that you mentioned a minute ago.
0: Yeah, and also, we'll also. Um... In a lot of cases, when those acquisitions happen and they announce that you know founder or CEO is going to stay on as an advisor or even stay on as an employee for two years or whatever, they're really just coasting. You know, they're not really doing a whole lot in some of those cases. Um, so, who knows whether this will really be different? I mean, Noah said he'd be what do you say 10, 10 to twenty percent of his time, I think, uh, devoted to Latera. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, all right, we'll uh, beat that one into the ground. Let's see what else we can talk about here. Uh, Molly, what do you got this week?
2: Uh, so I, I found an interesting column by Alison Frankel and Reuters about um, a study out of uh, Johns Hopkins and um, um, let's see, what is it, University of Georgia? Yeah, School of Law uh, did a piece on um, Justice in multi-district litigation, and uh, the it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but but I do think it's an interesting um, study with some good, interesting, and instructive results, um, and really shows how um, multi-district litigation is is broken on many levels. Uh, they um, r- surveyed the. Mostly, I, they were all women in these cases for, you know, um, a bunch of uh, breast implants and pelvic mesh cases. Um, but I think they had still over 217 plaintiffs that they interviewed, and more than two thirds were extremely dissatisfied with their legal representation, and 75% said so they pretty much had no idea what was going on. And you know, I'm reading through this, and it's it's interesting, and you know, potentially self-selecting with the, with how they uh, set up the study but most of the issues could be resolved by simple communication processes um, you know I, I think one of the recommendations by the authors of the of the study was to you know create a good website which they all there are a lot of solicitation websites for MDL lit- litigation but do but I guess there's not a lot in terms of um, updating the the actual plaintiffs on what's happening in their cases um, I, I guess in um, an incredibly high number of the women involved didn't even know who their actual lawyer was in the case. Um, couldn't refer to um, w- um, which law firm represented them um, in, the, in the multi-district litigation. I mean, this is all just massive failures of communication and uh, a disconnect and um, dissatisfaction with the justice system and, and with, with, um, um, with what they felt like should be happening in the case, including some type of punitive action with the companies. So anyway, I just thought it was—I thought it was really interesting, and I'm probably going to dig into it a little bit more.
0: This is interesting. Do, do you know I haven't had a chance to read the story? Was there comparative data uh, regarding the experiences of women plaintiffs versus the experiences of male plaintiffs, or was no, the this survey is, I just
2: a? it's, I think this is the only one that's been done like this. Um, that's, that's what I was reading. Uh, and the re, they, it's, it was self-selecting for women because of the, they went ahead and just focused on, on this grouping of cases. Um, and they all are, are women with, with um, in the, in this class, in this class of cases that they focused on. Um, but they are looking at doing more, more study in this area.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to think that, Mail plateups in MDL cases would have a lot of the same issues. Maybe you know, maybe or maybe not to the same extent, but uh, some of the, the problems around the law firm's failure to communicate and all that are, you know, basically gender neutral problems in some ways. I think. But, I don't know.
2: One of the things Allison Allison compared it to Costco uh, warehouse type of litigation, and I started thinking about that, and I'm like, well, actually Costco um communicates with me really well (laughs) about what's happening with costco and with the company and with products and i get emails i get i get a magazine i like i have flyers you know i i have a feeling that costco does a better job
1: there's a costco
0: magazine i did not know that all right um we've got a bunch of stories out of reuters this week what's reuters doing right
4: um I was actually going to bring that up because i <laughs> found that interesting too particularly after last year we talked about reuters growing their legal segment of journalism and hiring a bunch of people including from alm that definitely caught my eye too um would not be surprised to see that moving forward
0: yeah yep um and what other stories did we have from Reuters? what was the other one um i put one up yeah all right you want to talk about that might my-
5: yeah, mine was more, uh, was less about the Reuters story than the, uh, than it as a jumping off point. Uh, what in my story, in the story that I selected, I just saw that Reuters had an article by the Thompson Institute uh, that was just about what legal tech should be on your radar. Uh, and they talked uh, to Michael Gerlock about like, just what legal tech should be on your radar just generally. And I wasn't actually as not that there was anything wrong with this article. I wasn't really drawn to this article because of the answers, but the question. I thought it was an interesting food for thought, maybe jumping off point for people like us to talk about uh, what legal tech should be on people's radar. Uh, you know, we've been through a few hype cycles as a group uh, <laughs> over the years. I think that we've seen new new things crop up like what is what is kind of the future here and that's what I thought would be a discussion point if anybody wants to I I will say I can list the things that were mentioned in this article see if any of them tickle your fancy uh project or matters management tools corporate performance management tools client relationship management tools which classic and data and data feeds uh were the categories that he mentioned but yeah it's uh This is more of an open question I was tossing to the group. Yeah, I I think. Go ahead.
3: Oh, I was kind of thinking like cloud-based and I was maybe like practice management just so law firms can wean themselves off of like paper-based um types of documents and really making it accessible for like the appropriate attorneys and staffers to be able to work you know from different parts outside of the office and inside the office to not lose that business continuity um, even if they're maybe thinking like oh we'll still have people come into the office i think kind of like having that accessibility safely um, having a safe connection to it like that's something that all law firms should be focusing on
0: one of the things that jumped out at me about that article was actually not so much the discussion of the technology tools, but the section that talked about ALSPs and and why uh, sort of talked about the idea that more and more law firms are starting to use ALSPs uh, in various ways. And and you know his, his explanation uh, for this is that uh, you know law firms just haven't been able to invest the time. In, into uh, the resources or the knowledge or the skills to develop the kinds of technologies that ALSPs have been able to invest in developing. And I, and I read that and I just, I mean, it's a pretty obvious question, but why haven't they? Why haven't law firms uh, not just invested in technology, you know, products or tools, but why haven't they invested more over, over the years uh, you know, they've basically opened the door for ALSPs to step in and take away a lot of their business. There's no reason law firms couldn't have done. This is certainly some of the larger law firms anyway. I mean, I understand there's some matters of scale that, uh, where ALSPs are, are just are going to be better situated to take on major matters. But it, I just spread that. It just jumped out at me as like a, um, an, indictment, an indictment of law firms, essentially, for their failure to uh, be f- foresightful about this.
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean the por- yeah. go ahead, Joe. No, 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 you go. I- well, I mean, I was sniped a little by uh, exactly what Jasmine said in the chat, which is exactly the point that I was going to bring up, too, is I'm not sure that law firms really care that much about losing that type of work to ALSPs. Um, it tends to be the repetitive, what they view as low value work, and yeah, maybe they're losing a little bit of revenue, but the time saving of not having to do that work and instead w- the stuff that they can bill even higher for, um, I, I think it's maybe not the best bet because ALSBs are continuing to gain power and moving higher and higher up that value scale, but that's at least how law firms are looking at it right now, at least from my conversations.
5: You know, and it that's a, a good jump. Oh, I was just sure. going to jump quickly on that, with which is yes. And, uh, and and to some extent, that's good for everybody in the law firm ecosphere. And that goes back to a conversation I had, and I wrote an article about a few weeks ago uh, with Ed Sohn from Factor about maybe there's a point to which the ALSP is valuable for retention of young associates, you know, get them out of doing the drudgery work and have somebody else do that and and start the process of training your young associates to do the higher level work earlier yeah makes sense.
0: and i
1: think a lot of it may depend on the, the section of the market that that you're looking at because um certainly the very large law firms i think Sachs points is probably joe's is probably spot on but as you move down the, the, the law firm size uh and characteristics and client mix. Some of those firms in the middle don't want to lose that work because they they need that work to to make their budget and and to keep everybody busy. Because you know a lot of those firms have overhired over the years during the, the boom years and um, don't really have enough work for everybody to do. Um, so you know the the legal market is is so. Different, depending on size of the firm, type of firm, economic models, and all of that. That you know, sometimes I, you know, I, and I'm guilty of it too. You tend to focus on the very large law firms and forget about you know all these other firms. And it always strikes me too is you know we pay a lot of attention to the firms that use the billable hour model, and yet. There's all these law firms out there that that use contingency fee models, right? And they get, you know, a lot less attention, I think, sometimes because it's a completely different business. I mean, it it's not even, you know, apples and oranges. You know, it's apples and I don't know, whatever you want to use.
5: <laughs> persimmons. I don't know. I just I, I throw that out because I was watching Looney Tunes earlier and I heard the word persimmons and it's one of those that you don't hear all that often anymore.
2: Okay, so first, before I <laughs> jump in, how often do you watch Looney Tunes?
5: So I didn't, so not as much as I would like, but I did discover recently that apparently HBO Max has the entirety of the Looney Tunes catalog from like the 30s on. And I did not know this. And I was digging around and I was like, wait a minute. And I started hitting the button and then, you, then they just kind of like keep rolling. And I can watch, as I've learned, Wiley coyotes tech doesn't work so if you're out there as a legal tech buyer acme <laughs> you should stay away from uh, dynamite so
2: the only thing i was going to jump in on with with joe's thing is that, that all of those almost all of those um the three of those four points of its areas don't have to be specific to um legal tech not legal specific technologies these are these are technologies that any business could be using and be applied to legal in some way. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out whether, whether law firms kind of wake up a little bit and understand that um, some of their needs aren't so special or different from other sectors in professional services.
0: Yeah. All right, a- any other thoughts on Joe's sort of core question of the whether this article does a good job of setting out some of the core technologies that the uh, law firm should be thinking i I thought it was you know I thought it was a good sort of general statement it, it didn't go into a lot of depth on it or anything, and you, know, you could write write uh, write a lot more on it, but it was a, a good starting point for the conversation I thought um, all right uh, so um Victoria, want to talk about your story, your other story? We already talked about one of your stories. But
3: we'll yeah, and yeah, and this article is kind of. Um, like what ILTA is going through with some people being a little hesitant now to go off to Vegas and meet with a bunch of strangers that they don't know. Um, Some uh, vaccinations, I looked into um, legal tech companies and legal service providers and starting to ask, they're they're asking their employees about vaccination status. And there's a few of them are mandating if you want to return back into the office, you need to be vaccinated. And they said, you know, it can be a very touchy uh, conversation that could be a little bit polarizing because you may get into political Physical ex- uh, health exemptions, you know, religious discussions. And for some one legal tech company I spoke to at least, they said they um, didn't want to get into that types of discussion. So they didn't issue a requirement either way, like if you needed to be vaccinated or not to go in the office. Other legal tech and service providers said yes. For the um, safety of the people that are in the office, you need to be vaccinated if you want to work in the office, but it still says you definitely have the option of remotely working. So I thought that was interesting and definitely we've seen like the news over the last few months of law firms, you know, I forget was it Perkins boy I can't remember it was a big law firm that said, if you're not vaccinated, your key card won't work to get into the office. So, of course, legal tech companies, like any other employer, they're having these discussions as well. Some of them, it just might be a little bit too much of a sensitive topic that they're not discussing. But an article that I just wrote today, um, you know, some legal service providers, like the ones that are like document reviewers or they provide like contract attorneys or paralegals, their clients are saying, if you're, if you're bringing your people onto our into our offices, they need to be vaccinated. So if some legal tech or service providers are maybe not comfortable having those conversations, their clients are forcing that conversation. Um, And it definitely, not surprisingly, um, law firms that issue vaccination requirements of their lawyers and employers, they also want their um, on-demand attorneys and vendor workers to also be vaccinated. But kind of like ILTA. Um, that they're pushing back some of their on-premises like when they requested like, oh, we want people to start coming back in office in September. They're pushing that back because of Delta.
1: I mean, I understand. Sorry. Go ahead, Steve. No, I was just gonna say, as I recall, it didn't, uh, isn't ILTA requiring any all attendees to, to have proof of vaccination before they allowed? that? I think I remember that. They are, yep. Uh, yeah.
5: Yeah, I mean, and if you have it, they may not let you in anyway. So, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, but this is (laughs) this
0: is within Mandalay Bay, which uh, you know could be swarming with anti-vaxxers all over the place. So, the fact that ILTA is requiring that is good for some purposes, but. Uh, you know, I mean, from a medical Not point of yeah. from, view, from, from everything we've been reading about uh, this, even if you're vaccinated, you can carry the virus. Uh, and uh, if, you're, if you're walking through the lobby of Mandalay Bay that into a private uh, uh, ILTA event, who knows, uh, you, you still may be carrying it. But, you know, it, with regard to the Legal Tech vendors, I mean, I understand employers wanting to be sensitive to their employees' concerns about a topic but I, I, I feel like with regard to this topic, we're, we're way past the point where that sensitivity would mean don't talk to them about it or let's not bring it up with them. I mean, you know, we've all had enough of this. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we really gotta be uh, talking very openly and I think aggressively about this topic. And certainly, you know, I, think, uh, I don't think there's any question uh, from every, uh, every article I've read of our interview with employment lawyers that employers certainly have the right to uh, even require to require vaccination if they want to do that, um, uh, and certainly to be talking about it. And uh, uh, so, you know, I, I can understand. I guess I can understand legal tech vendors wanting to be sensitive and and thoughtful and and uh, conscientious about it, but they still ought to be talking about it. I think.
5: If you can't have a serious conversation about this with your employees, then you probably shouldn't be in business. Like, come on now. Like, this is like, like put on, it's time to put on the adult pants. It's like (laughs) at a certain point, you have to say, listen, I have ever. you're not, it is not a protected class to deny science. So if you don't want to do that, then you don't have to be here, but like, you've got to kind of this is a moment to lead. And, and to Victoria's point about the law firms, we had law firms talking about, we really wish people would get vaccinated, you know, we 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 encourage it, we'll help you set up, we were, we had that for months, and it got most law firms to 80-90% vaccinated. But there were still 10 to 20 that weren't, which is why we can't have nice things. And that's why Davis Polk and all those firms have started being like, we're turning off your key cards. Because at a certain point, you have to be the adult and scold people. And that's just where it is. And law firms have now finally crossed that threshold in the last month, basically. The threshold of we're no, no, we're serious, we're gonna crack down. And other companies need to too. Like this is just it's it's time to be. Just show some leadership here all right i'm i'm done so yes, right. uh, there was a <laughs> so no, there I,
1: just today i was this is off the legal topic a little bit but it's um was reading an article in the atlantic magazine i don't have the name of the the fellow that wrote it but um it's now becoming an issue with with uh medical personnel in hospitals um who are are showing the strain from from all of this and are are now getting angry that they they have to they have to put themselves out there risk their lives risk their family lives work like dogs night and day watching people die for a group that will not get vaccinated and a lot of the physicians and administrators that were quoted in the article were, were raising sort of ethical questions about um, you know not being able to treat people with other conditions because all the beds are now taken up by, Covid people, Covid nineteen people who did not get vaccinated, and uh, you know, and, I, and I, I was thinking to myself as as I was reading this, you know, my my wife has had three knee replacements, uh, and and I understand the pain that those people go through uh, when they need to have that operation, and now can't get it because the beds are full of non vaccinated Covid people. It it's it's going to be a raging issue, I'm afraid. Um, that's uh, there. It's going to be devilish for a while, and so I didn't mean to get on my soapbox show, but <laughs> yeah. well, I think I just think it's a good point. Yeah.
3: And I kind of think that legal tech and legal service providers are really kind of leading, especially the legal service providers, the ones that provide like the document reviewers and contract staffers. Um, I think they're really relying on that, like, uh, law firms and corporate legal departments. They're still reliant, still okay with leveraging like remote workers. But I think once like those law firms and legal, legal departments start saying, "Hey, we want people to come back in um, into the office," I think maybe that's when you might see some of the legal service providers, if they haven't, to get more stringent on, "Okay, we need to know um, who's vaccinated because it definitely sounds like the clients are saying we want vaccinated workers, like we want um, confirmation of that."
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, I just noticed that Roberta Tepper uh, was kind enough to put a link to that Atlantic uh, article in the chat chat room. Yeah. Chat yep. box.
0: Right. Yeah. Good. Um, and uh, going down our list here, Steve, you had uh, something on the peer oh. monitor index. You want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, uh, a little not quite as interesting and dramatic as what we were just talking about. But uh, Thomson Reuters came out with the uh, second quarter peer monitor index um, and, and did some comparisons to, to the same figures for last year. Uh, and this is the large law firm market looking at demand, productivity, rate increases and expenses. And Kay uh, announced that, that it looks a lot better, that all of these indices are up uh, except the expenses, which are down, which is a good thing. And so it all sounds really, really good uh, but then they make the very good point that, you know, it's it's a little misleading to compare second quarter 21 with second quarter 20. A better comparison is to look at second quarter 19 with second quarter 21. And when you do that, uh, it's not as robust. I mean, there are some increases. There are some things going the right direction, but it's no place near a, a demand increase 20 over 21 is 7.3%. When you drop down to 21 over 19, it's 0.6%. So, you know, it's it's uh, a little misleading to, to say, let's just look at comparing those, those years backwards. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting about this is they looked at various segments of the market, such as corporate, M&A, real estate, and litigation. And all of those uh, 21 over 20 were up. Uh, litigation was probably up the least when you compared it with 21 uh, over 19. Uh, they were some of them were actually down, including litigation was actually down, uh, which you know shows that litigation has not really recovered from where it was in 2019, and is now facing uh, probably a more protracted. Uh, Uh, if not decline, certainly uh, not an increase because, uh, you know, we thought we were going to be back in the courtrooms. We thought we were going to be having trials. And now the light at the end of the tunnel was was another ongoing train. So, uh, you know, for litigation, it could be an extended period of of harder economic times. So I thought the whole... uh, the whole analysis was was pretty interesting. I mean it it looks like the legal market by and large is getting back to where it was in uh 2019, except for a few spots like litigation.
5: You know, and I'll I'll just jump in and say from a recruiter since I have this hat as a consultant for a recruiting company too, like that comports with what I've seen too. If you're a corporate attorney, you can just like Announce your intention that you're on the market and you can get a high paying job anywhere and they will throw in bonuses and like stuff like that. And you tried to do that in litigation. It's few and far between. Like there are a few mid-sized firms that are trying to seize what they seize talent where they can see it. but it's just it's just a harder market. Like it's just not bringing in the revenue that uh, it has historically.
1: You know, and I wonder, Joe, um, sitting here thinking about it, um, you know, whether this is going to exacerbate the already intense pressure in any case for it to settle. Uh, Because, you know, for for a whole lot of reasons, I mean, the cost and all that, I mean, the the number of trials that we, percentage of cases that go to trial has been declining for a number of years. And I wonder if this is going to push that decline even further. Um, Yeah, maybe. Because you can't get the courtroom. And, and that's a shame, I mean, I, you know as a, as a litigator, um, you know I, I think I wrote a, a piece on this a long time ago. I mean, some cases just really need to be tried to set some benchmarks about what exposure is in other cases, and if there are no trials, then you know it's hard to gauge your your benchmarks, particularly as circumstances and culture changes.
5: you know, yeah, and we we basically have been on a track between. Uh, companies pushing binding arbitration and the Supreme court uh, their war on standing. Like we've been, we've been in an environment where litigation has been getting harder and harder to actually do Uh, pushing people towards arbitration, which I guess still involves lawyers, but you know, litigation is under attack as a concept and has been, and now, yeah, it's just being exacerbated and pushing more people towards other things. Now, that's not to knock alternative dispute resolution as a whole concept, but as you said, at a certain point, you know, they rely on precedents too. And at a certain point, you need to be having them.
0: Yeah. You know, one other uh, point of interest, if, if, if you mentioned this, Steve, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear you mention, it, but just the, the fact that part of this profitability for law firms is also being driven by what we've been talking about, which is re- reduced expenses. I mean, they're, they're not, they're, they're cutting way back on office expenses and, uh, whether that will continue as they start to uh, get people back into the office, I don't know. But but you know the 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 fact of the matter is that work from home has been uh, has been a good thing for the bottom line for law firms, uh, and I think a lot of them are are, uh, are realizing that as, as a longer term strategy.
2: Yeah. What so else? I'm gonna. Uh, uh, can I just throw with that? Um,
5: yeah.
2: It's not. It's been working, but not emotionally for for the firms to at this point I think we're at a point where if this continues and it looks like it's going to into the fall and potentially the new year that the the cutbacks on support are going to have to be reinvested somehow um, to add support in for the things that firms have been saving money on um, because people are we're getting more and more reports, and ALM has been on the forefront of covering this with um, fatigue and mental health issues. So I, I really think that we're going to have to see more investment into in support, even yeah, for remote, and, and especially for hybrid work environments.
1: Yeah, and I, and I was going to add, it. I think it's going to have an interesting impact on office space, because, uh, you know, a lot of firms, as of a month or so ago, were saying, we're going to come back. It's going to be great for our culture. You know, I want everybody back in the office. They even had clients demanding that their lawyers work in the office. And, But the longer that people work remotely by, by necessity, you know, the closer we get to some time points where a lot of law firms are going to have to make office space decisions based on lease renewal and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting uh, dilemma for firms then where they are looking at all this office space thinking, yeah, it would be great if everybody could come back in the office, but boy, when's that going to happen? And can't we reduce our footprint and save a whole ton of money? Um, that's that's kind of where the rubber is going to finally meet the road on this remote, off, remote working business, I think.
4: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question to your point, Molly. There's going to be reinvestment just because you can't keep cutting forever, but where exactly that's going to be, I think, is the open question. Um, I, I pulled up the numbers that the American lawyer had out of the peer monitor report. Office expenditures down 27%, business development expenses down 45% increases in tech spending, as well as knowledge management investment for firms. uh, They didn't actually cut there at all. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised to see that continue, where, yeah, I think business development is going to bounce back. To your point, Steve, real estate, I'm not so sure. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those dollars be reallocated to tech, to data, to knowledge management a little bit moving forward.
0: Um. Yeah. Good points. All right. Uh, the only other thing I, I didn't really have a story I was going to talk about this week. I did want to talk briefly about a podcast I posted this week, just because I thought it was uh, uh, interesting and uh, in, in further reflection of, of uh, every something we've talked about repeatedly here, which is the increasing investment in legal tech. But I did a interview this week with uh, Zach Posner, who is a co-founder of the Legal Tech Fund, which is the very first uh, venture capital fund that is set up specifically to focus in legal tech. Uh, and uh, I thought that was really interesting that that they had done that. They actually formed the fund back in, I think it was January of 2020, but they didn't actually make their first investment until late in 2020. Uh, and uh, they've now made a, a number of investments, uh, smallish, uh, smallish companies, um, they're uh, really focused on uh, what what Posner describes as as legal tech companies with that are com- but companies that are sort of legal in the middle as, as he puts them where they're companies that tend to span other uh, verticals uh, like fintech or, uh, or or consumer tech or, or something like that. Um, and but you know this this guy Posner was Somebody who he certainly had exposure, he was a, a former entrepreneur, he had exposure to the, to the legal world, but he's not a lawyer, he not worked in law in any way, but he just kind of was like looking around out there at uh, what industry had uh, some, of the most, some of the most promising opportunities for investors and uh, finger fell right on legal tech. Uh, so I think it's really interesting uh, that they're doing that and be interesting to see if others come along and do the same thing.
5: He just looked around and said, wait a minute, uh, people might think I'm related to Richard Posner. And no. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and See, this is the problem. or a bad thing. <laughs> this is a problem with the mute function that we all utilize when we're in this Zoom is people laugh, but like on the actual final recording, nobody's going to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You're
1: suggesting we should have a
5: laugh track?
2: That's what I was going to say. We should totally have a laugh track.
5: So I have on thinking like a lawyer at the podcast, eh, throwing that plug out there. Um, I have the, um, I have a soundboard. I made uh, our friends at the legal talk network that I, that that show is through. I, I talk to them. Like, I want to be able to like morning zoo this and like hit buttons and have like weird sound effects. And so I do. So I'm able to like hit the occasional laugh track if I need to. Yeah.
2: Catherine seems real thrilled with that.
5: Oh, okay. So I, I that's actually a good point. I needed to see if people listen. See, she actually doesn't hate them. You know who hated them was Ellie. When my host was, co-host was Ellie Mistal, uh, who is more famous now than he was when he was at Above the Law. But when he was there, he hated every second of my sound effects. <laughs>
0: There's, uh, there's, no, a, there's a great uh, podcast board you can get that lets you do that too. Uh, you can plug if you plug all your mics into it. it uh, Right. There's a, lot, a whole bunch of sound buttons on it and stuff you can do during a podcast. But I don't know if it works so with Zoom. We'll have to check it out.
5: See, that's why Is i I got I got this uh, software based one that they recommended so that I didn't need to bring the mixer everywhere. Because that's yeah. the thing I can bring a board with the mixer, but right. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Does yeah. it work with Zoom? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'll bet I could make it. <laughs> yeah i could i could make it yeah i have to do a little bit of setup but i could actually yeah. make it work yeah, yeah. okay all, right. all right we have a project you know, stay tuned have, next week yeah. there's there's
1: actually a, a, a new app out for apple watch that you you can push these little buttons and it makes these all these little like wham sounds and laughs, <the> laughs. <laughs> so key <laughs> You're really the only one who
0: needs a laugh track, Joe. I mean, the rest of us just aren't very funny. So,
5: <laughs> oh, see, see, wait a minute. Okay, yeah. Well, when you say you need a laugh track, that's that's suggesting I'm not funny and that I need no, like no, to artificially. Yeah, no, no. Ah, no. no.
0: In, in the real world, uh, people mm. people are laughing at you with you
5: <laughs> with me. Yeah, it's, it's that's, with him. That's that's what I guess. Uh, yeah, we'll
0: see how that plays out. All right. Anything else? Uh, any uh, any rants or raves or uh, complaints or whatever else? I guess we'll do this next week. When, when's everybody heading out? To uh, not everybody. Those of you, all two of you on this call besides me, or oh, Steve, you're going too. So all three of us, three of us will be there.
5: Four, Four of us heading, will be there, counting me. I'm heading out. Actually, I got to check. When when are you all heading out? Let me check.
0: Sunday, going Sunday. Sunday. I think
5: I'm. I I think I might be a Sunday too. I'm yeah. Monday, but Reese is going to be there from Sunday for LTN. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right right. 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 Right.
0: And is Reese participating in the uh, journalists in the media room? Yeah. 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 He
5: right. he was the one who was in first, as far as I heard. Oh, all right. Good.
0: All right then. Well, uh, we'll be back here next Friday then, I guess, and uh, our final preview leading up to ilticon and then uh, some of you will see in Las Vegas.